is the Beyond the Studio podcast, and you're listening to Season 2, Beyond the Studio West Coast Edition. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Support for this season comes from Southern Exposure's Alternative Exposure Grant Program in partnership with Facebook's Artist in Residence Program and the Andy Warhol Foundation. If you find value in listening to Beyond the Studio, we'd love to ask you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's the easiest way to show us some love and to help others find the podcast. Thank you so much in advance for letting us know what you think and for supporting the show. You might hear some adult language used occasionally on the show, so please be mindful of those around you and pop in some headphones if needed. Today's episode is brought to you by Storyblocks, an amazing stock image, audio, and video platform that we've had the pleasure of working with before. When you sign up for Storyblocks, you get unlimited downloads from their member library, so you can try out any clip you want, including HD and 4K footage, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and much more. Don't forget, all their content is royalty-free, so you can use it for commercial and personal projects, and they're yours forever. So check out Storyblocks' incredible video library through our unique link storyblocks.com slash beyond the studio and we are back this week with part two of our interview with wendy red star if you're tuning in for the first time and this is the first episode you're hearing you might be a little confused because this is part two of a two-part episode so do yourselves a favor and go listen to part one it's the episode right before this and if you've already heard that let's get into it Now it's been like a year and a half-ish for me transitioning to going full-time self-employed. And people are like, isn't it amazing being self-employed? And I'm like, it's really hard and really terrifying. And I'm never not worried about the possibility of having to go out and get another job. (laughs) But at the end of the year when I'm doing my taxes and I'm looking back at everything, I just think like, I cannot believe that I was able to manifest this amount of money out of nothing. And it's insane to think about, but it's also really reassuring to remind yourself like, okay, I live in this place of doubt and fear and stress about like, okay, make making the next sale, getting the work out there, staying creative and continuing to make work that I'm proud of and actually being interested in making the work. But generally it tends to work out okay. And the bumps that you hit along the way are really painful in the process, but you can work through it and you can make it and I don't know. I know whenever I look back, I'm like, I cannot believe I made that jump, but I'm real glad that I did. I'm probably going to continue to be paranoid about my income, but I think that's just part of the the game when you're responsible fully for your own income and you're not relying on a salary or, or any kind of consistency within your income. Yeah, it's it's so important too to have like a, some sort of support net, network for yourself, whether it be family or friends or other artists or a really awesome therapist who can like kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I had this uh, really great therapist that I worked with and she kind of like, she's also, you know, her therapy practice is her own business. And she said to me, well, you, you should look at it this way. Like, if you had a job, you're only you're only getting one stream of income and it's coming from that job. But as being self-employed, you have all these different streams of income. So you would have to get fired from 
all these different streams of income to be in real trouble. But if you were, if you had a job, you could just get fired that once and then you'd be out money. And I was like, whoa, you know, I never really thought about that. And it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really appreciated her kind of telling me that because I think it's so drilled in to us that like, you've got to get a job for security. Right. That that's the pathway when actually maybe your life as a self-employed artist is more secure. Yeah. Yeah. So it was nice for, to kind of flip the, the switch on that and have her tell me that it's just like, I really needed that as well. Cause it is scary. It's like this weird thing where well, I'll open up my calendar and I'm feeling kind of insane, a little bit mad at myself, especially in March, I traveled every week to a different place. And I was like, wow, wow. my past self really wasn't treating my future self well. And like, here I am traveling every, every week. But part of that is like, yeah. when you open up your calendar and like, you know, I've got this uh, year booked out, but 2020, it like kind of ends and midway through that year. And you sort of kind of freak out. You're like, oh my gosh, there's some blank spots there's no money coming in. What am I going to do? But then it ends up filling in, you know, things happen. But yeah, that's kind of the roller coaster ride that you're on. Like you're, you're waiting for somebody to reach out or do you have to then sort of reach out and try to source some things as well? So, so yeah, there is a lot of hustle involved with being self-employed. It's so interesting how much fear is involved, though, too, around being self-reliant. And I mean, you had already experienced getting laid off from a job and, you know, still that's present. And it was so funny to hear about the phone call that came in right afterward because I had also gotten laid off from a job I was working in. I think this was 2015. Um, And then the next day I went to this Artists U workshop put on by Andrew Simonet, who is another guest that we had on the show, but it's this sort of business development workshop for artists. And it just totally reframed the situation and the way I thought about the next steps. And so it happens and, you know, you could be fully employed one day and then get laid off the next. And it's so true that that's completely out of your control. Whereas when you're building a life and building a career for yourself, you really are in more control. You're creating opportunities for yourself. You're lining things up for the future and you have all these different streams of income coming in. And yet still somehow that feels scarier than maybe being employed at a full-time sort of office job, um, which could disappear tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. And I hope I'm not like, scaring everybody who's listening to this with just like so much fear (laughs) but it is I'm sure we all live with a certain level of fear no I'm just relating to that feeling and I've I've never thought about it in that way before but I feel like I just had this light bulb moment too of oh wow you're right there's there's no reason to feel that way because you have all these different streams of income and actually, you know, you're fully capable and your history shows that and that, you know, we should just be a little kinder to ourselves. And so I'm speaking more to myself because I fall into that trap all the time. Yeah. And that's why a good therapist will help you out. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for this therapy session, Wendy. This has been really great for me. <laughs> And, and also illuminating, I think, to hear about how you have been building your life and how it sounds like at the moment it's involving a lot of travel. Like, oh, something I wanted to mention that I've seen Amanda do too is that as someone who's self-employed, she's always 
always experimenting and being creative with changing the ratio between or, or finding new streams of income. And so um, that's something that I feel like I've been seeing a lot of artists do and that um, I think Amanda does a really good job at too. And so you mentioned maybe sh- too shifting, <laughs> shifting the, the balance a little bit, um, but how do you see that maybe changing for you um, if as you're maybe scaling back your travels? Yeah, I, I really feel like being really w- aware of what um, feels good to you, I think, is so important and what doesn't work and being really strategic. And I think that comes with having a little bit more confidence, too. I, I feel like it's kind of unavoidable as a young artist because you don't know and you have to experience those things. So I do think it is important to say yes and have a lot of experiences so that you know what you don't want as well. And so, yeah, for now I'm realizing it's time to change my lecture fee and up that because I feel like there's other income coming in from like sales or or doing really well that I feel like I could not have to travel as, as much. And if I am going to travel that I want a higher fee for that. And that will sort of kind of weed out some of these people asking me and the people who do invite me, I think, I think because they'll be paying sort of a higher lecture fee, you know, I'll be treated really well. So just kind of those kind of things are shifts. And I I think it has to do a lot with just sort of having these experiences, but also having more confidence. Um, And, and, you know, again, like thinking being home, I think artists are really just trying to carve out time, right? We're trying to find the time to make the work and uh, have the time to have the creative space. And so I find like right now in my career, I'm out there planting all these seeds in different areas and seeing how they develop, but I'm not really at home as, as much focusing on, you know, creating uh, projects and work. Or if I am, you know, I'm sort of cramming them in like I, I was when I was uh, working a full-time job. So that's kind of the motive behind it is, I, you know, I want to be home so that I can really develop work. And then those are n- new seeds to plant and um, to see where, how they develop as well. And this is a super practical question, but when you are home, what would like a typical day of creating work look like for you? Well, it's kind of an interesting scenario because <laughs> um, I just recently purchased uh, my first house in July. I guess it's not so recent, Congratulations. right? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, and You're within your first year. Yes. Yeah. But part of it, purchasing the house in July, you know, I set out to find a place because I love working from home. Um, so I wanted a place that I could figure out a studio uh, home situation. But it, I've also had such a jam-packed travel schedule that I haven't been able to fully set up my working space. So basically right now, the reality of the situation is that because of my travel schedule and I'm a total introvert and a total hermit when I get back to Portland, like do not hang out with anyone because I, um, I'm just trying to recover all the energy that was uh, sucked out of me. So basically it really is more about self-care when I go home. And part of that studio practice for me is getting out with my dog into the forest. And that's where I come up with a lot of my ideas. It's always been this way for me where I spend a lot of my time um, thinking things through and the actual production time of my projects 
projects is pretty quick, you know. So it doesn't require a lot of time, like in the actual making part of my work. The time actually in the studio time, I would say, is uh, working out ideas. And to do that for me, it's always been like being out walking or running in the woods. Um, So pretty much a typical day for me is um, if I don't have my child, uh, would be getting up and going out into the woods with my dog and then coming back, really doing a lot of administrative stuff. So I have a window of doing a lot of emails, kind of situating that out. And then once I'm kind of finished with that, if there's an opportunity to start working on those ideas, I will. But for right now, I'm still kind of in this like little shift moment where I'm not quite set up in my studio Uh, Do you have any tools or resources that you use to keep yourself organized or to take care of time management, especially with a crazy travel schedule and all of of the things? I still feel like I'm pretty chaotic and flying by the seat of my pants. But somehow, like I've always, uh, I I guess that's one of my tools that I have in my back pocket is that I'm always able to, you know, pull things through. But I would like to streamline it a little bit more. I, I tend to use my calendar quite a bit, so I'm pretty synced in into that. But um, yeah, like I said, it's been a steep learning curve. When it's more consistent, I really like to work just like Monday through Wednesday from uh, like nine to one o'clock just doing administrative stuff. And then uh, once, if I can get that all knocked out, um, and I even will schedule meetings, like any anytime somebody wants to do like a phone meeting with me, I'll do it on those days between those times. And so that's kind of a, a new development that I've started doing. But sometimes that doesn't happen, right? Because I'll like, right, for an instance, right now I'm doing a, a residency after I told you guys I don't like doing residencies in, <laughs> in um, St. Augustine, Florida. And so, you know, sometimes my schedule gets disrupted um, from traveling. So I can't uh, keep it like that. But ideally, that's sort of the deal. Uh, Monday through Wednesday from nine to one, do all my administrative stuff and then uh, just free myself up for whatever I need to do in order to make the work. And I, you know, I think it's so important because again, sort of this art school damage you have when you go to grad school was, uh, I really felt like this pressure in grad school or sort of this uh, guilt uh, when I would see these other grad students just working away and making so much work in their studios. And I think I, I only made like five oh, works when I was in grad school. And um, I was never validated for the time that I spent searching online or um, again, like I think a big thing for me back then was going to vintage stores and like looking at things and uh, getting objects that way. That was never validated. And it's sort of surprising when I think about it now. So I've sort of had to have this reckoning where like, oh, look, this time where I'm like enjoying, you know, like this documentary or I'm out walking in the woods, that's all studio time and it all counts. But yeah, I've sort of had to like relearn that for myself because it was never validated in school. The person like slogging away in their studio, just making a ton of stuff was getting a lot of praise for that where, you know, that trip out to the vintage store, you know, like was not getting any praise at all, but it was such an important part of my practice. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that's another thing too, is I, I feel like that all applies into 
the end product for me. So it all counts for me. Yeah, we've talked a lot about that idea of redefining studio time too and how it's so interesting how there's this pressure to always be producing and so just unpacking the the guilt of that and recognizing that all of the that your entire life is an artist so you don't have to create the separation between the time that you're working inside the studio or that you're you're producing something tangible but that just taking everything in and even the time where you're sort of not thinking about your art making is is also crucial in other ways to your continuing to make work and so it's i feel like a continually evolving thing for the two of us also just redefining what what that studio time is and looks like yeah yeah I had a great conversation too with a consultant again through the Joan Mitchell Foundation and she sort of helped validate me she's like yes loser time is so important so if your loser time involves watching the real housewives for like a few hours just validate I did that earlier I was catching up on New York. Well, Amanda, you're validated in that decision. <laughs> and that was time well spent. And, uh, and so, like, I can't my wait to take it I, to the studio. Yeah. So my daughter and I have, like, incorporated that in our lingo. It's like, okay, well, we can do loser time here. <laughs> you know? and, like, I like that. We have a few hours so much. of loser time and, like, just really be into our loser time. and um, But, you know, have a, a set amount of loser time each day or each week that we can look forward to. Yeah. I usually use a podcast duration, like a longer one, hour, maybe up to two hours as my, I haven't called it loser time, but I'm immediately implementing that (laughs) that term uh, because I love it so much. But I use it as my like decompress time, chill a little bit so that I don't burn out when I'm really excited to work and I feel like I can fully focus then. But it's taken a while to allow myself that time because I felt so guilty for so long taking that time when in reality, like if I were going to a job, I would clock in, do my work, whatever that encompasses, clock out, I'm done, go home and veg out and relax and like get back to my human self. And I think it's so hard to remember that the the types of things that you would have to do at a a job where someone else is paying you are the same types of things that you would have to do at a job where you're paying yourself. Like you need time to read, to research, to rest, to run errands, to get supplies, to do all of these things. And that that all is part of the work, especially if it's coming from you and you have to be able to fuel yourself and give yourself the rest and the loser time that you need to get into the creative time. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And also, you know, the other thing that, that she shared with me is that I, yeah, I really need to make space for that, like time to decompress and just like zoid out. But also that in order to do that, because I think one of my problems with that is I was using it as buffering time or time to distract myself from actually doing the things that I needed to get done. So I'd have like a pile of emails that I was uh, using uh, this loser time. <laughs> to like avoid doing those. Um, and so she, you know, said like, you really have to really, you know, get through the things that you need to do so that, the, you know, you can fully enjoy that time of just decompressing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's so important. Cause otherwise, you know, 
if you're not, then you're constantly thinking about all the things you have to do in that time that you're like listening to that podcast or, or watching that show. And you never get a, like a full, uh, full time to like rest or um, just zone out. Yeah. As an artist that is both really rooted in a place and who travels a lot, how would you describe um, the role of, of place or location um, in your life or in your art making? You know, to me, I think ever since I left my reservation at age 18 to go to college, and that's kind of my whole source of inspiration is back home on my reservation and reflecting about my reservation. And I found a home in Portland. I really love being in Portland. But for me, home is actually in Montana on my reservation. And so, yeah, it's kind of this interesting thing. So I feel like I've found a home in Portland where that's my place to kind of decompress and heal and feel grounded. But my creative space or inspiration is rooted in home on my reservation. And I'm always trying to find a link to that. So anytime I travel mm. and I'm invited, I'm trying to see there's a crazy thing that has happened to Native people in this country is that our material culture has been spread all over in different institutions, different collectors, things like that. So mm-hmm. it's kind of incredible yeah. to go to like in Omaha, Nebraska and any opportunity that I get if I'm working with an institution, I'll ask, do you have any uh, chrome material? And usually they do. And that's what's so wow. shocking to me. Or even like when I was in Rhode Island, I went to the Rhode Island Museum and they had some phenomenal crow objects. And, and that's a way for me to kind of stay rooted in my inspiration and in my home and find a piece of that while, you know, I'm traveling all over. So I think that's how I stay sane <laughs> when I'm traveling. And also I feel like it's so important because a lot of my work and the things that I lecture on is about a part of U.S. history that is sort of denied, you know, it's left out of the equation and it's only this sort of, it is this colonial view and it's from the conqueror's viewpoint and all the indigenous Mm -hmm. history with the U.S. government is left out of the equation. And so that's another thing for me to like help in sort of the education of that when I'm doing my lectures. So that's another thing that helps me kind of stay rooted again by just, you know, promoting and and educating through my work and through the lectures. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think you, you did in a really interesting way because in speaking about the idea of home or place not being partially where you are at this point in time but also how that comes into play when you're traveling and anywhere that you are yeah and you know my daughter is also for me Portland has become home because that's where she was born and she's obsessed with Portland she told me like the other day that she's gonna live there her whole life Granted, she is 11, but I was like, okay, so does that mean I'm going to be in, you know, Portland? You're like, do I need to live in Portland my own life? Okay. Um, so I do find She's that kind of... stay weird for life. Yes. I find it fascinating, too, because we've grown up so differently, like uh, her childhood versus my childhood, where I grew up on the reservation riding horses for eight hours a day and a very rural 
areas and she knows like her favorite restaurant and all sorts of crazy <laughs> like city things and I'm like you're such a strange child she's not strange but it's so different from like my upbringing and um it's just kind of fascinating to witness mm-hmm. yeah kind of you know one of the things I wanted to share I know it's late, but I think a kind of an important thing is that for my business, I'm a corporation, I'm an S corporation. And um, I feel like that has been kind of a good tidbit of information for me. I was told I should look into that and I decided to go that route. So it's worked out pretty well where my corporation pays for my health insurance um, because I'm an employee of my corporation and I also pay myself a salary. And so that's been, I think, really kind of great and also a really logical way to kind of break down my business. And yeah, so I think that's like one tidbit I'd like to share is maybe checking that out. So as your own corporation, are you employing other individuals as well or are you the sole employee? No, I actually, it's set up so that you can have other employees because um, I, I have the whole payroll. So I have a payroll for myself. So mm-hmm. when I do decide to have a, an assistant, um, I can set them up under my corporation and um, they can be paid. But yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty great. And uh, really one of the things that I'm really working on now is just setting up an emergency fund that's like half of the year's expenses and then also setting up retirement and everything that you would get if you had like an, an amazing job is kind of the mm-hmm. goals that I have for this year and next year to kind of really set that up for myself. But yeah, I feel like that didn't even dawn on me that you could give yourself all those sort of benefits and things like that as a self-employed person that you totally can. But yeah, I would, that's kind of my tidbit, like having an S corporation, I think is really smart, works out well. And I, I love talking about all of that kind of stuff and having separate credit cards and separate bank accounts, all like that are geared towards anything that you spend on your business expenses. And I don't know if people know that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you shared that. This is, I mean, I've heard of an S-Corp. This is like, you know, business structures 101. They give you the list of all the different options and it just sort of goes over your head. You're like, great, I'll never, I'll never need to know that. But I mean, it's really helpful to hear how much of an impact that has really had on the way that you're viewing your, the career end of your making and what it's been able to do for providing structure um, to those things. And no, it's, it's really great. And it's important, you know, and part of the, you know, what helps me with that the business part is I have an accountant and I have a separate tax person and, you know, that and, and I use QuickBooks and that all gets fed to, you know, my tax person at the end of the year. So, you know, these are all things that I've learned just from like, you know, that steep learning curve of being self-employed. But yeah, it's, re- it's really helpful. And even, you know, having separate bank accounts strictly that I use only for art business and like, for instance, being mm-hmm. here at this residency, everything's going on to my, you know, business cards, you know. Mm-hmm. So I really kind of, I even like throughout the day, think about every expense that I make. Is this a business thing or is this a personal thing? Or can I put this on my business card? Yeah. So I think that's so important for artists who are self-employed to kind of, even if you're not self-employed, I would say even having separate bank accounts, if you have a full-time job, 
just to separate out all your art expenses from that, I think would be smart in general. Yeah. I remember it probably was a couple weeks ago. I had heard on a podcast, a woman who owns her own business was talking about how she started matching her own 401k from her business. And I was like, that is some genius stuff that I should have thought of. And I'm annoyed that I didn't, but I'm grateful that I just heard this and now I can try to do that. Yeah, yeah. Or I make my work under more of the like craft world. And I set up my business as an LLC, mostly to protect myself from anything that goes on with the business. So if any problem occurs, I am not Not liable. It is the business. Yeah. 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 And I know uh, like my husband who, who is a musician and they travel a lot. They have different LLCs for when they're traveling and for the merchandise that they sell or or any royalties. So those things are separate. So if like they're playing a show and something happens, it's totally unrelated from their music royalties from like selling as opposed to like when they're playing actual shows. So different facets of their business are even broken up into different LLCs. Yeah. Yeah, Just like, like protecting different parts of your business from other potential, I guess, threats or problems. Like there's more likely going to be a problem at like a hardcore rock show as opposed, which even just saying hardcore rock show is <laughs> real silly right now. But like at a heavy show, there's more likely problems as opposed to like selling records on the internet. Like they are unrelated despite the fact mm-hmm. that they're from the same thing. And finding the right setup that works for you and your creative business is super, super important for your own protection, for setting yourself up for success for the long-term future. Because it's so easy to focus on how I'm doing with my money right now. But at the end of the day, even if I may or may not intend to retire, I would still like to have the option. And I'd like to be able to have affordable health care. And I'd like to be able to pay my bills and, and have the options that a conventional life offers, even if I don't necessarily want them. I'm grateful that you mentioned that. Yeah, no, it's so important. And I wish grad school, I wish I would have gotten this sort of education. I probably would have thought it would, was totally boring (laughs) if if it was offered in grad school, but it, it's so important. And I actually am kind of quite obsessive about it just because, um, it actually does make me feel a sense of control as well. Like being able to kind of sort out, you know, all these ways that I can like buffer myself and protect myself and, you know, even maybe make some passive income as well. Um, but they, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, they literally don't tell you these kind of things in grad school. They might now, but when I was going to school, it, it was just about being in your studio and producing work. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's anything else that's really important to know that we haven't talked about, um, or that you haven't already shared with us? You know, one of the things that I think is also important is for me, like to know what your weaknesses are. So one of my weaknesses is definitely writing. So I have a person that I will send all of my writing to and she'll like edit it. And that's been so valuable. But the reason why I bring that up is especially with the internet and things writing that gets out there and lives on the internet. It's so important to own your own story and tell your own story. And for me to put out, you know, what you want to say about your own work first. Um, So, you know, I'm doing interviews or things like that, being um, kind of really clear 
and conscious about what you're saying because that stuff can live on forever. (laughs) And uh, I've even had like old bios that were out there that, you know, were used. And I was like, ooh, that's not at all like, you know, what I think or how I feel about my work now. But just being in control of your own story, I think is so important because it just surprises Mm. me how many times I've run into that where I'll be working with an institution or, you know, someone will even do an interview with me and they'll mention the sort of old haunting (laughs) writing that's been kind of floating around. So I think that's so important. And it's one of those things that I didn't think about. Another thing that is a strange and interesting thing that has happened to me is since my work is in a lot of museum collections, um, the museums can show your work in any show they want in any, you know, sort of context or a show that they want. Mm. And that was kind of wild to me or like another institution can borrow it for their show. And I'm not like a superstar artist. I feel like, you know, there's some big artists that I'll end up being in a show with. And I know that they have no clue, you know, that their work's yeah, that's in so that interesting show. That you're sort of forfeiting the, the control over where your yeah. own work lives and ends up and how it gets shown and presented um, yes. at that point. And for me too, I, I guess I say this because as a, you know, a native artist, person of color, there are a lot of times there's shows that are, can, you know, be very sort of generic or they can pigeonhole you and, uh, you know, your show, mm-hmm. your, your work in that collection might end up in some kind of generic show like that. And that's something I never, ever thought about before until it actually, yeah. you know, happens. So, and I, you know, I really don't know what the answer is. to that other than when your work does end up in these collections there's a whole process where you talk to the registrar and just being really specific of how you want that work to be cared for shown and you know uh, provide them with writing um, on that work that's clear I think those are some ways where you can kind of help that situation out. But that was an interesting one that I, you know, I never thought about. I never thought about that at, at all. Yeah. So when your work is included in a show, then are you, this is such a basic question, but are you informed in some way? Like your work is a part of this, uh, has been loaned out for this exhibition or are these just things that you're sort of coming across randomly? I've had like a curators uh, reach out and I think that's wonderful if a curator reaches out to the artists that they're going to have in the show I think I think that's important that's just a yeah, smart I was thing to if do that's standard or if they have some obligation to that to the artist whose work is in the collection or if it's just they don't have an obligation so they don't have to, but um, mm-hmm. in my case, I've had people kind of reach out and say, oh, yeah, I'm having in this exhibition and we're including you. But other ways that I've found out if a curator doesn't reach out, you know, it's through the press that they do. And I'll get like a Google alert and I'm like, oh, my work's wow. on this show. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. But even to think about that, like while you're sort of writing down a list of exhibitions, it's a weird thing. Like you're like, oh, I guess I was in the show. <laughs> you know, I can include right. that on my resume. But yeah, it's sort of weird when your work starts exhibiting without, you know, your your knowledge of it um, or you it's being its fully own involved. Life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of an interesting thing as as well. And I, you know, another thing too, is just being really clear. Like I work a lot in like a series or editions and kind of 
if you can think down the road how that might pan out, like if you have a, a, an addition of work and it ends up being placed in, in various institutions, just kind of working out uh, what's like the, the best scenario for yourself and how that work gets archived. It's a weird thing because it's totally thinking about the future. And like I said, I guess you have to have these experiences first to know what you want and what you don't want. So th- it's kind of a hard thing, but um, yeah, just thinking about the archive, archiving that work. And if you're, you're doing additions or series and just to be really on top of where things are going, mm-hmm. especially if they're going to like a private collector or something and who knows if they turn around and sell that work and mm-hmm. kind of tracing that as well. But just being really on top of like where your work's going, where it's been and having a document of that. Don't be lazy about it because it, it can get pretty tricky if you haven't kept track and then you're stuck trying to figure things out. Yeah. Are, are there specific ways that you're personally archiving and tracking your work? Um, do you have your own system that you've created or anything that you're using for that? Yeah. So basically right now I've made um, invoices. So every time, you know, a work's been placed, I, I have an invoice uh, set up. But I know from listening to um, this podcast, you guys have done an advertisement for a way oh, of, for artwork archive. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Ooh, I yeah. think I'm going to check that out because I have another artist friend and this was even before I listened to your podcast. And she mentioned that she's been working with her studio assistant to archive all her work through that and that oh, she wow. was using that. So I, I was like thinking that would be a good way to go next, you know, with everything that I've got sort of invoiced out for myself where everything's been, um, to then like go the next step and like uh, use this digital format as well. Yeah, I don't have a huge volume of work, but it it has been really helpful to have everything in one place. And um, this isn't something, a feature that I've used a lot, but you can attach locations for various like lengths of time if you have work out on loan or in exhibitions and then kind of track its lifespan through that yeah Um, so it's just like another nice visual way to see where your work is you know another thing just like the last thing I would want to share is oftentimes you know I'll get messaged by an institution and and they're interested in maybe purchasing a work or they want to show a work and just having everything on hand for that work like having an image a press image of that work that you can send having the a writing of that work I really do want to articulate how important it is that you write about your work first and have that out instead of having some random person come and, you know, mm-hmm. say what that work is about to the public and be totally off. And having having that set up as, as well as, you know, what the price is, what, you know, the edition is. Just for every single work you have, if you can have all those sort of documents lined out, that will save you a ton of time. Because usually what takes up a lot of my time is like trying to gather all those things in one place or create all those things Mm -hmm. for that one email. And if it's kind of like when you start applying for grants, you have your artist statement and uh, your CV and, you know, some images on hand for it. um, But creating that for your works, I think is another great way to be more efficient. Yeah. 
That's really great advice. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we could do a whole nother podcast episode just digging into the like super, super nitty gritty practical stuff. So if you ever want to be back. Yeah. Just let us know. <laughs> yeah. I, I love doing that stuff. I'm actually so sort of hungry for that that stuff. And anytime I meet an artist who's sort of working in similar ways, not like making work like mine, but um, sort of lecturing and sort of showing at the same level, I'm always so curious to sit down and ask them like how they do it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and some of the tips yeah. that they have. And it's so important um, to have those conversations and to share those conversations. Um, and, and yeah, and to be open about it. Like I think a lot of people are yeah. sometimes don't want to talk about some of the financial stuff as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. you've been so, so generous with your knowledge here tonight. And I, I, we just so appreciate you being completely candid and and forthcoming with all of that and how you're making it work and all of the strategies that you use and all of the chapters of your life. And um, this is just, I feel like this conversation has been such a wealth of knowledge and information. And I just want to say thank you again for sharing your story. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it was so awesome to talk with you. And I feel like I have even more questions than I started with. So <laughs> I'm sure we'll show the up in your inbox sometime. <laughs> thank, yeah. thank you. I appreciate it. And I um, really love listening to your podcast. I think you guys are doing really important work. And so I wanted to thank you for, you know, sharing all of these interviews with other artists because I've gained a lot of information from it. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. Are you trying to make me cry? Because it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm it's not. really a credit, I think, to the artists. that I'm, We've just been, we've said this before, but we're always blown away by how generous and open people are. And it's been re- so educational for us and really um, exciting to, to see the response and how willing other artists have been to share the really behind the scenes, um, sometimes difficult to talk about stuff of their own lives. And um, it's been so invaluable. So that's, it's all the artists, <laughs> really. <laughs> we can't take the Yeah, we the are credit, simply but. the conduits of the conversation, but the, the really powerful information comes from the wonderful artists that have been generous enough to give us their time and energy like you and really appreciate it and we're so glad that you were able to come on and that we could talk to you and i can't wait to ask you more questions one day yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right well sounds good and i would be totally happy to do it again so thank you that'd be amazing and please tell beatrice we love her show oh yes fantastic i will i will i definitely will she loves hearing that um uh, so i will definitely share that with her and we will send our listeners there. Thank, Five yeah, star thank reviews you. for Beatrice, please. Thank you for uh, <laughs> supporting her podcast. Oh, it's easy. <laughs> thank you for it's supporting great. ours. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Where are some places, um, whether upcoming shows or lectures in person, um, that people might be able to find your work? Um, and then also in a digital space, where can people follow along with what you're doing? So right now I have my work up at the Met in a show called, so you can see my work at the Met. Uh, I worked on a set of labels pertaining to different objects in the Met. And there's a couple of my actual works in there from the 1880 Crow Peace delegation. And 
The exhibition is called Artistic Encounters with Indigenous America. And I have uh, my first mid-career show uh, up at uh, the Newark Museum in New Jersey. And that's going to be up through June. And I will also be having an exhibition at Allegra La Viola's gallery or it's also called Sergeant Daughters Gallery that will be happening at the end of this month in April. So there's a lot to see there. Um, and I'm pretty active on Instagram. And that's just at Windy Red Star. That's probably where you'll see kind of the most up-to-date and current things that I'm doing. Awesome. Wendy, thank you so, so much for talking with us tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me. Today's episode is brought to you by Storyblocks, an incredible stock image, audio, and video platform that's always adding fresh new content. With their subscription, you can get exclusive discounts on their millions of marketplace clips at one low cost, giving you more options to finish your project and stretch your creativity. So check out Storyblocks video library through our unique download link, www.storyblocks.com slash beyond the studio. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. 